Today's scripture is Matthew 20, 29 to 34. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said to him, open our eyes. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. The word of the Lord. Since Easter, we've been in a teaching series on the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 14 through 20. In this section of the Gospel of Matthew, 14 through 20, two things happen. One, Jesus becomes more clear and more direct about who he is and what it means to follow him. He says it straightforward. He says it directly. That's the first thing that happens. But the second thing that happens is the misunderstanding and the misinterpretation of Jesus also rises and goes up at the same time. Clarity from Jesus up, misunderstanding and misapplication and misinterpretation also going up. It happens to his own disciples. And we might ask, how does that happen? Why does that happen? This is what we've been discussing for the past. I think this is our 20th sermon in this section of the Gospel of Matthew. And what we found is that his disciples, the crowds, the people, they were not seeing Jesus as he is. Instead, they were seeing Jesus as they wanted him to be. They were seeing Jesus in the way that they thought he should be. They were viewing him through the lens of what other people were saying about him and thinking about him, through the lens of their own agendas, their own desires, and their preconceived ideas. I've been calling these filters, the filters through which we encounter Jesus and see him. Filters let in what you want and they keep out what you don't want. Example from last week. Last week we had a guest preacher, gave a great sermon, Chris Sandoval, one of our mission partners. He was preaching on the section right before this. The disciples and a large crowd, they're about to go into Jerusalem. It's Jesus' final week. They spent three years with him. What did his closest followers think it meant to follow him, follow Jesus? We got James and John. They are two of the three in the inner circle with Jesus. They came to Jesus with their mom. You can read about this in the section right before. Hey, mom, let's go to Jesus. Okay, well, what are we going to do? We're going to ask him. Actually, we're going to kind of demand from him. Jesus, promise us that we will be the greatest in your kingdom. Promise us glory and honor and power and fame. Say, what? That is wrong on so many levels and so far off. What about all that stuff about loving service, about the last shall be first, about dying to self and taking up the cross, all the things Jesus said very, very clearly. <laughs> the filter was up. 
and didn't get through. And we've been asking for the past 19, 20 weeks, if it happened to them, how might it be happening with me? This whole section where people are seeing Jesus through all kinds of filters ends with this story, the story that we just heard read. If you just look at it again, page 6 in the bulletin, this is a story. This is the story that concludes this whole section. After this, they're in Jerusalem. And Holy Week, or Jesus' final week, begins. And this, is the, this is the exciting conclusion to chapters 14 through 20. And it is a very fitting conclusion. Because in this story, we have a moment of clarity where the filters come down and at least two people see Jesus unfiltered. This morning, we're going to close out this series with this final message. I'm calling it Unfiltered. From this passage, I have one main application. If you are taking notes, you can write it down from this text, a conclusion really to this whole series, and it's this. If we see Jesus as he really is, we will follow him wherever he leads. It's really at the heart of this entire section. If we see Jesus as he really is, we will follow him wherever he leads. Another way to say this is this. If the problem is blindness, then the solution is sight. If you misdiagnose the problem or the disease, you end up right with the wrong solution or cure. That's what this story teaches us. The problem is blindness and the solution is sight. Two blind men are begging on the side of the road. Verse 34 says, Jesus moved with compassion. He touched their eyes. Immediately, they could see. And they followed him. That's the picture. That's the picture of the solution we all need. Here's how I want to move through the text. First, um, we'll fill in the blanks there in your outline. The reason we don't see. Secondly, the realization that we don't see. And lastly, we'll talk about the results of when we do see. We're going to try this morning. I'm going to look up at the crew up there to, to give you some, illustra- or some, uh, some slides as we move along. So you don't have to have written all that down right now. But first point, the reason we don't. The reason we don't see Jesus as he is, this story illustrates for us the Bible's answer to this question. And the answer is we are all spiritually blind. Blindness in the Gospels is not just a physical condition. It's also a spiritual condition. This is a story about the miraculous healing of two blind men. Yes, literal, literal healing that he healed these two blind men by Jesus. He had great compassion for their personal need and their physical condition. But it's also about more than that. It is a story of Jesus' power for miraculously healing the spiritually blind as well. Let me provide some evidence for that interpretation. In Matthew 13, okay, basically the same uh, section, the same gospel, Jesus is explaining why he teaches in parables in these stories. He says, because looking... They do not see. In hearing, they do not listen or understand. But blessed are your eyes because they do see. We know the disciples still, though, did suffer from blindness from time to time. Then later in Matthew 15, he's talking about the Pharisees and he says, they're blind guides. 
And that's where we get the phrase, the blind leading the blind. Jesus says, uh, if the blind guide the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. Later in Matthew 23, after this section, Jesus calls the religious leaders blind, and that's kind of putting it mildly. He's kind of shouting at them, and he's saying to them, you are blind, you are blind, you are blind. Blindness is a metaphor. It's a picture of our spiritual condition according to the Bible. Another reference comes later in the New Testament, the book of 2 Peter. At the beginning of that book, Peter, one of uh, Jesus' closest disciples as well, he's writing to Christians who are following Jesus, and he's saying, here is how you can grow in your character and your maturity. And he says in verses 8 and 9, chapter 1, if you possess these qualities, these character qualities like goodness, self-control, loving kindness, these kinds of character qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things, i.e. the person who's not growing, the person whose character is not changing, is blind. And he says short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from past sins. So there's Peter saying it. The problem is blindness. So in the miracles of Jesus, the healing of the blind, uh, the lame, uh, the deaf, these are miracles of physical healing. There are pictures of the kingdom come. There are pictures of what will happen in this kingdom, in the already and in the not yet. This is God's intention for humanity, the restoration of all things, of all things physical and all things spiritual. So there are pictures of spiritual healing. There is a very important caution and warning in these references to blindness that I just gave you. And that's this. Those who study the Bible really hard, experts in the Bible, those who tried very hard to obey it with great detail and great determination, his disciples, Jesus' disciples who spent so much time with him, Christians who are active and committed in their faith, can be blind. The most troubling part of all of this is you can be blind and not even know it. In a different gospel, Gospel of John, chapter 9, if we have this slide, we can put it up on the screen, starting in verse 41. Listen to what Jesus says here. There it is. I came into this world for judgment. In order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. I've had glasses or contacts since the seventh grade. Right, today I'm wearing contacts. Um, I'll never forget when I realized that I needed them. I was in seventh grade. And, you know, they had a big eye check. And so we went into the big auditorium. And we're all just, you know, I'm just there with my friends. And I'm messing around. Like, I'm oh, whatever, whatever. This is just time out of class to have fun. I don't need glasses. And then they, I, they invited me to come. You know, it's my turn. I sit in the seat. And the person doing the exam put the thing up. You know, the eye chart with all the letters. And said, okay, what can you see? And I'm squinting. <laughs> you know, like, don't squint. Like, uh, okay. E? 
And that was, that was all I could see. And my eyes aren't, aren't terrible, but I was like, what? That, you know, something's wrong with this. You know, it's all fuzzy. Like, I, all I could see was E. I had no idea. I couldn't see, but I thought I was fine. <laughs> I thought I could. Jesus says, this is the human condition. We are spiritually blind, and we don't know it. The effect of our separation uh, from God is that we have become spiritually blind. We've lost spiritual perception. We don't know God as he is. We can't see him as he is, and we can't see ourselves as we are. And Jesus says the person who is most confident that we see, right? The Pharisees were like, you're not talking about us. The person who's most confident that they see is most surely blind. Jesus does not say in John 9, I want to pause here for, or move into some application here. He doesn't say this. The problem is sin. And the solution then is to not sin, stop sinning. He says the problem is blindness and the solution is sight. He says if you had spiritual perception, then you wouldn't sin. There's so many implications for this. Let me just give you one. Christian friends, my friends here who are followers of Jesus, we spend a lot of time looking at sin. And by that I mean we have a reputation for us. Some of it is deserved. Maybe some of it's not. Pointing out the sin around us and other people. There's the moral failings of other people out there in the culture, on the other side, whatever that other side might be, focusing in on particular sins that concern us. That's the problem. And when we do that, we're sending a pretty clear message by saying that's the problem, that's the problem, that's the problem. What many people are hearing, maybe what we are thinking inside, is that then the solution is just to stop all that. Stop all that sinning. Stop all that moral failing. And sometimes it works the same way with ourselves. We spend a lot of time looking at our own sin, our own failures and shortcomings, places that we want to change, things that we know are bad habits in our lives. And we think the solution I'm after is I just have to stop sinning. Given what the Bible says and what this story shows us, maybe this focus is wrong. I'm not talking about downplaying sin and the consequences and the seriousness or excusing it at all. But if that's what we're focused on, it's like us saying, why are all you blind people getting lost? Why are all you blind people bumping into each other and you're just falling into pits and going over to these places that you shouldn't be? Why did you crash that car? <laughs> and they say, we can't see. I want to come back to that later. But the reason we don't see Jesus as he is, this story shows us, it's because we are blind. Let's keep moving on. The realization that we don't see. If the problem is blindness, and the first step is admitting, okay, I have this problem, how do we come to the realization that we don't see when many times we think we do? We see, okay. This is a story about these two blind men. They knew they were blind, and their interaction with Jesus, I believe, is meant to help us come to the realization, I have a blindness problem too. How do I come to that realization? 
that I have these filters between me and Jesus and I want them to come down. The context here, Jesus is traveling a main road from Jericho to Jerusalem for Passover. Jerusalem was a center of religious life for the Jewish people at this time. Uh, the temple was there, and so it major holidays, and this was like the major holiday, and feasts. Pilgrims would come, and they would flock into Jerusalem, and that's what's happening. Jesus is on the main road into Jerusalem from anywhere east. It's busy. A large crowd is following him, and these blind men are on the side of the road. They're begging for food and money. Giving alms to the poor was considered a sacred duty by the Jewish people, so we have Crowds of people, pilgrims going to a holy feast. That's a great place to beg, right? Because people are wanting to be holy. They're wanting to be good. That's why the Salvation Army sets up, you know, during Christmas time. Because people are more likely to give a lot during that time. It's kind of what's happening here. And in verse 30, if you look at it with me, they heard Jesus was coming. He's passing by. And they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped. And he called them. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, open our eyes. How do we come to the realization that we don't see? I want to say the answer is prayer. I want to say the answer is prayer because it's not something that we can do on our own. We can't force ourselves to come to this realization. It's something we have to ask God to do for us. Now, we often think prayer, you say, okay, prayer, I've heard that before. We often think of prayer as a, a mysterious thing, as a complicated thing, as like, how do I say the right prayer, get in the right frame of mind, say the right things in order that God might hear me or God might respond to me. This story it makes it very, very simple for us. It is not complex. It tells us where to start and what to ask. Where to start? How do these men get Jesus' attention? Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped. Imagine a crowd at a big sporting event. It's a sold-out Dodgers game. You are going into the stadium. The game is about to start. Thousands of people, right? are in this crowd, funneling into the gates. And there's two people on the side saying, help us, you know, we, we, hard, we, we come across hard times, would you, would you give to us? And they're over there on the side. Would you stop? Well, if you stop, you're going to kind of like be trampled, and you're like, oh, I want to get to those people and help them. Most, most of us, honest, <laughs> we would not stop. It's just a huge crowd. We're going somewhere. All the momentum's going this way. And people just want to keep moving. Do you ever think, why would God hear me amongst all the crowds in such a noisy and needy world? How do I get God's attention? I think this story is meant to show us it's not hard. Jesus stops on a dime when he hears one thing, a genuine cry for mercy and help. They just say the most simple prayer. Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, you have authority, son of David. It's another way that they would say king. You are the king. You are the Lord. You have authority. You have power. I need help. 
you have power, <laughs> you have authority, I need help. That's the prayer that stopped Jesus in his tracks. And we're meant to see the contrast. Here's a busy crowd, we have important things to do. We're going to the important city in the most important festival. Something big is going to happen. Jesus needs to get there. We're moving along. Let's keep moving. And two men are sitting on the side of the road and crying out. But it's the two men who get Jesus. It's the two men that Jesus stops for. When you are overwhelmed, when life is crazy, when you can't make sense of life, when you don't know what to pray, when you have issues, problems, this is the place to start. Lord, have mercy on me. That's it. And Jesus hears that prayer. These words have become an ancient prayer. Uh, just these three, these, these four words, Lord, have mercy on us. Five words, I guess. The Kyrie eleison. It, it goes by that name. Thousands of years, people have said, I don't know where to start. Life is too overwhelming. I don't know what to say to God in prayer. Kyrie eleison, which means, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I recommend that prayer to all of us. If you don't know what to say, start there. But it goes on because they ask Jesus for something. Jesus stops and says, what do you want me to do for you? What a question. Maybe you say, well, isn't it obvious? Why would he ask it? If we were able to stop Jesus and have his undivided attention, and we knew, okay, I have the attention of Jesus. If he is who he says he is, he is the powerful king, the authority over all things. He made all things. He sustains all things by the word of his power. And here he is coming to you right there. What do you want me to do for you? Can I ask you this morning to answer that question? What do you want him to do for you? These men say, Lord, open our eyes. And what I want to submit to you is that this is the right prayer for anyone who is blind. This is the right prayer for everyone who is spiritually blind. This is the right prayer for everyone who believes the problem is blindness and the solution is sight. Practically, how does this make a difference? I know some of what's going on in my life and in your lives as I talk with you and meet with you and spend time with you. Some are dealing with health ailments that are just ongoing and debilitating and so frustrating and hard. Some of us are dealing with difficulties of parenting. Some of us are in school and school has just started and we're getting overwhelmed and stressed about how things are going to work out socially or just with our work and all of that with our schedule. Some of us have continued struggles in our marriages. Some of us are just trying to get a hold on our anxiety. And in emotional life, we just can't seem to get a handle on. Some of us are trying to make progress in a specific area of our lives, a flaw, a sin, something in our character. 
So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He say, that's easy. Heal me. Fix my kids. <laughs> Help me in school. Fix my marriage. Take away my anxiety. Help me to stop this terrible habit. All those are valid prayers. Good prayers. But there is a prayer that gets to the underlying problem. A prayer we need that no matter what we're going through and dealing with, a prayer that will bring the power and the presence of Jesus into that situation. We don't know and we cannot control how Jesus deals with all those other things. What will happen with my marriage and parenting and school and anxieties and health? But this is a prayer that gets deeper. Lord, what do you want to show me about you and about me in the middle of all this? These two simple prayers. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, open my eyes. These two simple prayers, as we see here, move the compassion of Jesus toward a person. And here we get to talk about it again. A Greek word that I've taught some of you who've been around these past few years. My favorite of all. Some of you know what I'm going to say. Splankna. This is the splunkna of Jesus, his guts, his affection. Guts is probably not a good word. <laughs> but his heart, his deep, the deepest place of his heart moves towards the person who says, Lord, have mercy, help. Open my eyes. And I don't like to overpromise from the pulpit. I don't like to promise you to say, if you do this, you'll get this. That's not really what's given in Scripture. But I do, based on this text and the rest of the Bible, want to give you this promise. Jesus will move towards you in compassion if from the heart you pray, Lord, have mercy. Open my eyes. Jesus' heart loves to answer that prayer. He will meet you. Lastly, the results when we do see Jesus as he is. What happens when our eyes are open? When we see Jesus as he really is, we will follow him wherever he leads. That's what happened here. Their eyes were open and they went home and they were finally able to fulfill their dreams. Okay, it doesn't say that, does it? Their eyes were open and then they could watch all the Netflix that they always wanted to watch because they could finally see. No, they followed him into Jerusalem. When we see Jesus as he really is, we'll follow him wherever he leads. And there are three results that I want to share with you that come from seeing Jesus as he is. One, we'll have perspective in our difficulties, which I've already mentioned. But something remarkable about the prayers of the Apostle Paul. One of the great Christian leaders of all time, somebody who when he said, I'll pray for you, he actually did pray for you. And we see what he prayed for people. 
And it's not at all what we would expect because there were a lot of difficulties the people he was praying for were experiencing. And you look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul and he said, here's what I'm praying for you. Let me share. I'm going to write it down and I want you to know. And in those prayers, we don't really see him praying for better circumstances, for things to work out, for everybody to have a good day. Most of his prayers are for sight, for wisdom, spiritual understanding, discernment. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, that God might open the eyes of your heart so you might see what is the hope of his calling, what is the inheritance you have that nothing can take away from you and the immeasurable power that is available to you in Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, when our eyes are open, that's why Paul is praying for this. We can have perspective even when life is hard. And even in those moments, we can grow to see Jesus more for who he is and see ourselves and follow him wherever he leads. Second, what's another result? We can have light in our discouragement and things can get very dark. I'd like to speak to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. You're interested, maybe you're exploring and you're wondering, what is it all about? I'd also like to speak to you who are followers of Jesus, but for various reasons, you're struggling to continue for one specific reason in particular, and that's this. There are many things that are difficult and can be very discouraging about Christianity. Now, I'm not saying Jesus right there on purpose. Christianity, the group of people who say we follow Jesus and we're trying to do this. Christianity. How you see Christianity portrayed in the media, social media, whatever avenues that you see Christianity portrayed in various ways. Christian leaders fail and they fall. Your experience with the church and with Christianity may have caused you much hurt and confusion. Christians should accurately seek to reflect Jesus Christ, but we don't always do so. Like every single person in this massive crowd who was following Jesus, they were genuine. They had some level of commitment. They're like, we're a part of the Jesus crew and crowd, yet not one of them stopped for these two guys. So sometimes Christians are off. We get caught up in the wrong things. That happens. Something we think Jesus is all about, but he's really all about those two guys. And that happens still. What do I want to say to you? Here's where I'm going with this. Look to Jesus. Christianity and Christians, we, we, we become blind to. And that's not to get anybody or anything off the hook. But what I want to say to you is look to Jesus. There are valid and important questions about Christianity and Christians that should be addressed. They can't be brushed off. But what I want to say to you, if you're discouraged, if you can't make sense of what's happening in terms of how people are trying to represent Jesus, the best thing for you to do is go straight to Jesus and look at him. We have perspective in our difficulties. We can have light in our discouragement. And lastly, we can have power for discipleship. Discipleship meaning following Jesus to become like him. How does that happen? These two men, now that they could see... They followed him into Jerusalem. And here is the final thing I want to say. 
is great encouragement. It really is. If anything, is the secret sauce. We're always looking for the secret sauce. How can I change? How can I grow? How can I more fully follow Jesus? I would say this is the secret sauce. I'm going to put this verse from 1 John up. Dear friends, it begins, dear friends, if we can get that slide up. John says, uh, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know when he appears, here it is, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. No filter. How will we become like Jesus? How will we be all that God intended us and desires us to be? It's when we see Jesus as he is. That's what will do it. If the problem is blindness, the solution is sight. The power for transformation is seeing Jesus more and more and more as he is. Not as who we want him to be. Not as who we think he should be. Not through our own agendas or preconceived ideas, but as he is. The Apostle Paul says it a little bit different in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the first word of creation, the God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So that is the secret sauce. To gaze upon Jesus. To look to him. For me... One of the most important things that I've done over the past few years for my own discipleship and following Jesus and asking Jesus to show me areas of my own blindness is to preach through the gospel of Matthew with all of you and to have the privilege to do that. I've never taught through such an extended series in one of the gospels, the story of Jesus. So it's not a mysterious kind of like, what's, what's the secret? The secret sauce is something that is right in front of us here. Look to the Gospels. Look at Jesus. Know him as he is, not as who you want him to be. And maybe that's something we need to return to again and again and again. And as we conclude this sermon in this series. I just want to conclude by praying all together. Lord, have mercy on us. Open our eyes. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Open our eyes. Where we feel so confident that we understand how things should be that we understand you and maybe have or should have things figured out. Would you bring us to the realization that we don't fully yet see you as you are in all of your glory and all the truth and all the light that we need to see. All your fullness, the fullness of your character, the never-ending riches of your grace and all that you have done for us. Help us see more and more and more of that. 
wherever there are filters, wherever there are lenses, wherever there are agendas that we are holding to, I pray that you would break those down, tear those aside so that we can see you. That's our prayer. And I pray as we move to the Lord's table, your table, that you would drive it home into our hearts and that we would see you for all your glorious goodness. And we pray in your name. Amen. Celebrate communion this morning. Our communion liturgy is on page 8. And you can turn there. But a few words about communion first. What happens at this table? Why, why do we celebrate communion? Uh, this table is in many ways, it's all about coming to see Jesus. And what, what Jesus does at this table is take the blinders off for us. We, we sometimes come and we are struggling. Are you real? Are you there, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'm more here, I'm more real than the bread and the wine that you can see and touch and taste. Sometimes we come to this table and we are just wondering, do you care about what's going on with me? Do you love me? And Jesus says, see, my body was broken. My blood was shed. This is how much I love you. This is how much you matter to me. Sometimes we come to this table and we just wonder, will it be okay? <laughs> will things be okay? And Jesus says, see, this is just the beginning. This is just an appetizer. This is just a taste of what is to come. The renewal of all things. The time when you will see me as I am. It will be okay. See, taste, and see. Who can come to the table? Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have made the decision to become one of his followers, who have been welcomed into his family, his body, the church, through the sacrament of baptism. If that is you, you need this table. And I invite you to come. If you are still thinking about Jesus, if you have not yet placed your faith in him, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus yet at this point. We're so glad that you are here. We want this to be a place where you can see Jesus and learn about who he is and what he's all about. And so instead of you coming to this table, this wouldn't be true to where you currently are. This is a meal for the family of God, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Instead, I would, I would encourage you to pray these two prayers. Lord, have mercy on me and open my eyes that you would pray. That you would pray. And in that prayer, uh, as I said, expect the compassion of Jesus. If you, and if you pray that prayer, if that's where you're at, whether you're online or with us this morning, I would love to talk with you about that. Um, for those of our children who have not yet made a profession of faith, they're welcome to come with their parents to the table if you have your kids with you. You can come over to my line. I'll be here on the right. And um, I would like to pray a prayer of blessing over your children, however young, young they are. You can come to my line up here at the table. Um, a few words of instruction before we move into this meal. So um, we are using these prepackaged communion uh, 
elements at this point. So these guys with the purple on top, that's grape juice. And the other ones that look like a tiny little chalice, uh, that's wine. So wine and grape juice. We're going to come uh, through the center aisle. We're going to form two lines. You can come over here to my line. One of our deacons will be here serving with me. And out back, um, we also have a communion table and station set up for you. One of our deacons will be out there. Folks over here in the overflow room, can you come around to the outside and join us at this line? Page 8, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves of the story that we live in. From creation to new creation. And at the center of it all, Jesus Christ, the one whom we long to see. Would you stand with me and let's read the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the prayer of thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Amen. Please have a seat. On the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And now the words of institution, therefore we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Now we can, um, as you're coming forward, also we'll be singing a song. It's on page nine, but you can come forward, come and see Jesus. <laughs> These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come when you're ready. I can see the love in 
yourself down Raising up the broken still You take a Body of Christ, 
was broken for you. Take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. We invite you to stand. I'm going to sing this final closing song. Uh, Evan put together a couple of songs that are fitting in not only to this sermon, but really to all that we've been looking at these past 19, 20 weeks. So let's make this our final prayer as we sing this song together.
final thing um, we do appreciate so thankful for your faithful support of our church we have our offering box out there in the back there are other ways uh, to give thank you for faithfully uh, supporting the work of our ministry and our mission but let's close with this this benediction that God would open the eyes of our hearts from 2nd Corinthians may the God who said let light shine out of darkness shine in your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, amen. Go in peace. like me.